Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius, the nicest man to be caught in a disaster movie with. How are you doing? <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm okay, but I'm a little mad that God kind of lied to us about never destroying the Earth again. You know, like, talk about, you know, just uh, reading the fine print, you know? He's mm-hmm. like, well, I, I, I said with a flood, I never said with a rogue star. Yeah, and I'm sure you're going to express that anger in the most pleasant way possible for at least 80% of this conversation um, and then and then turn it to fury right at the end. Uh, <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are touching on... We're, we're kicking off our 50s block. This is a block of films. We are we're six films we are doing from uh, the 1950s. And we are starting with 1951s, when worlds collide. A couple of information written, but uh, directed by uh, Rudolf Matei, uh, script by Sid, uh, Sidney Bohem, uh, and based on a novel. I didn't realise this when I read it, but uh, by Edwin Bulmer, and starred a bunch of people from the fifties. Which was, I could read out their names. I don't know any of them. I don't think they sort of stand out as uh, as particular stars. So. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm not going to worry too much about the, the, the actors. Um, but the general principle of this film is it is identified that the Earth is literally going to collide with a, a, a star is passing by, it's pulling a planet with it, and it, we are going to collide. And a small, very small uh, selection of humans are going to jump on a rocket ship and make their way to this other planet um, leaving Earth to be destroyed in their wake, uh, but make a new home on this new planet. And it's going to deal with the journey of building that rocket and the selection of people uh, that are going to go with it. So this film should be all about high tension and human drama and discussions around why people get chosen. It's not, (laughs) as much as I'd like it to be. But yeah, so... After from the bat then, Julie, what were your initial thoughts then about when worlds collide? Well, I don't think I've ever seen this before. Um, mm. And I was amazed. I think the thing that strikes me the most is how much disaster movies owe to this, mm. especially sci-fi disaster movies. You know, Armageddon, Deep Impact. I mean, they were, you know, influenced by there's that Clark novel, like, you know, God's Hammer or whatever it was. But um you know, twenty. I think twenty twelve has a lot of the same oh, beats. Yeah. Sort of. They even use the phrase "the day after tomorrow" yes. in this in this yeah. movie. Uh, you know, it seemed to me like to the point where some of those movies feel almost like remakes of this, uh, and so many of the story beats in here get copied endlessly. I I think this. Yeah, I agree. I, I firstly, I, I as I was going uh, through it. You know, you could see that, like, say, 2012 and The Day After Tomorrow and a few others of those sorts of films um, definitely um, 
definitely sort of struck a, a chord. I was like, all like, oh, right, that's where they came from. Um, however, I think this almost feels like a prototype. It's it sort of like it has all those beats, but how they get from beat to beat doesn't always work. Well, give me an example. So the the main the main one is well, firstly, this is the most pleasant disaster movie I think I've ever <laughs> sat through. Um, they're absolutely lovely to each other, even though there's a love triangle in this. Where the, at the end of it, it's sort of like, well, you you won her over, and you're just like, all oh, right, that that's it. Um, but the, the the one thing is at the end, the whole film runs, and they work through the, the creation of the ship and the collection of the people and all this other stuff and the selection. And then, then when they board it at the very end, all, all of a sudden, all the other workers are like, grab your guns. This is a disgrace. <laughs> Why weren't we chosen? And I'm like, where's this indignation come from? You've been working here for like, like a set number of days, like several months or whatever. And I'm like, what? That, and there's just, there's just a lot of sort of slightly left turns all of a sudden in the sort of the, the way people are acting. Um, which is fine, you know, the way they deal with it. But that was the biggest. But there's a couple of them as they go. Well, it is true that, like, definitely there is some sort of, like, 1950s sort of, like, oh, fair cop, Gov, you know, sort of, like, <laughs> just people being super nice to each other. Um, I kind of dig that. I mean, I can go with that. Mm. Um, I know what you're saying about the abruptness of the uh, grabbing machine guns. <laughs> Although, you know, because, I mean, originally the... the uh, millionaire sponsor um he is concerned about everybody in the world coming to try to get to these these rockets mm. and i'm confused like weren't there rockets in countries around the world at some point isn't there a yeah. line of dialogue and, and then that's several. just forgotten yeah yeah um but you know you never see any outside pressure i mean that's my number one complaint i mean the shots of new york devastated and flooded and stuff are cool mm. especially for the time but like there's this whole plot about like this UN subcommittee and scientists not believing, you know, in, in the data um, or, or that, you know, really they can do this rocket ship, even if the data is correct. And, you know, and I thought, OK, well, that kind of is interesting to think about global warming and the debate about that and think about covid and the debate about that. Um, you know, if, if this happened now, you know, <laughs> you know, you it would be like, you know, look, uh uh, this this is all a conspiracy by the Lib Dems to you know uh, to get us to abandon God. God would never destroy the world this way. Uh, only God can destroy the world. A rogue son can't destroy the world. Um, you know, you guys are only saying this because you hate God and true patriots. You know, don't believe this nonsense. Um, so I know what you mean. Although I did want to say about the the guns, like I like kind of like the idea that they're like the women are all like they're not going to revolt, right? They're yeah. all like they're cool with it. Yeah. But you know, and and I I did kind of like the fact that the men are like they're willing to go along with this until they know they're not chosen. Mm. Once they know they're not chosen, they're like, well, screw this. This wasn't fair at all. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of do dig that though. It's it's it is interesting to say because. And you say about some of the politics in this, but it does feel like that. They, they there's two types of characters in this. They have because there's again, this is very fifties. This is this is 1951. It's very post-war. You know, it's it's uh, you know post World War Two. Other than the, sort of the the um, 
the the rich millionaire, uh, you know, who's not, you know, in a wheelchair. So to me, the, the instant I met him, I was like, oh, this is calling back to uh, what's it, Potter from It's a Wonderful Life, <clears throat> instant recognition. Um, but everybody else is really noble. Everybody was is incredibly sort of like you know. Um, uh, there's a there's a there's a couple that sort of get introduced at the end, and you can see how stories have developed over the time because those that couple would have been introduced so much earlier. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple, and um, they're they're announcing who's been uh, chosen to go on the ship, and uh, he he is chosen and she isn't, and instantly his response is to walk into the the head guy's office, hand in his thing, and be like. I'm going. I'm not going. Someone asked to have my mm-hmm. seat. I'm staying here to die with my with my girl. Very very noble. There's no follow up on that story at all. He literally leaves the office and he's like, "Well, that's done with." You know, there's no there's no discussion of her going like, "No, you have to go." Like, sort of. But I I like the fact that instantly he hands it to the guy in the, who's been pushing the wheelchair around for six years, and he's like, it, "This is a good one." Well, well I'm going then. And then gets out a gun, and I was like, uh-huh. "So there's good, there's good moments where he has a real go at the rich guy as well." He's like, no, "You're a scumbag, and I hate you." And like, <laughs> and so there's some really good stuff in this, but it always feels like instant. It's like, and now we're doing this, and now we're doing that, and it's um, which just seems very fifties in its in its uh, storytelling rather than the ideas because the ideas are there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say, like, first of all, I like that we don't see that couple earlier. Like, what I hate about disaster movies is that first, I mean, that, you know, it's always, it's all about the payoff, right? Uh, yeah. But I always hate that first cliched uh, arc act, which is like, you know, I, I'm just a soccer mom trying to get my kids to, you know, it's like, okay, I don't want to watch that for 15 minutes just to care in theory about whether you mm. live or die. I don't need that. You know, 20 seconds of that is more than enough. Um, so I, I kind of like it's mercifully brief in that respect. Um, but yeah, I mean, they do kind of like they because the the head of the project, uh, Dr. Hendren, does give a C to the girl and mm. it's this that they go and you do briefly see them on the rocket ship, you know, uh, so you're like, oh, OK, you know, they got out. But there's this odd mixture. You're talking about like the goody two shoes sort of thing, when um, everybody is. I mean, including you know the the Dave Randall sort of the main character. Like, <laughs> I don't deserve to go. Yeah. Give it to somebody else. But um, but the, the flip side of that is like there's this odd way in which that sort of fifties goody two shoesism is merged and and always tied with a sense of entitlement. And, you know, you think about, I mean, yes, the, this rich guy only gets one seat for all of, I mean, I kept thinking, doesn't he have any loved one? You know, yeah. he only gets one seat. But meanwhile, Hendren is just like, look, I'm in charge. I'm going to put my daughter on this. I'm going to put <laughs> the man she loves on this. I'm going to put this like kid we found on it. And that dog. You know, we like him and the dog, you know, we can just put anyone we want on this. Everybody else draws lots. But I'm going to have this kind of noblesse oblige of like, you're a good guy. I'm going to put your girlfriend on it and you too. Uh, and I'll sacrifice myself. But there is a sense of like, uh, you know, like nobody questions his right to just like put yeah. a kid and a dog on this. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I agree. Because again, the, the character of Dave Randall, he sort of seems to be sort of, 
when, when this film starts, because um, again, like yourself, I've never seen this film, so you know, I enjoy. I, I first off, I enjoyed a, a lot of it. I will say, but when he's introduced, uh, you know, and he sort of they they handcuff him to a uh, like a black box, like a briefcase, kind of a metal briefcase thing. He's got to sort of like be the transporter for it, and he's a pilot and all this other stuff, like. Instantly, he has been identified as in a specific way, especially a lot of post-war. Like you know, it's clear without even—I don't even know if they say it—but it's clear that he, you know, he's fought in a war, he's done all this other stuff. So he's the one that's going to transport this stuff. And sort of by handcuffing him to the instant he was handcuffed to that that thing, I was like, oh, well, you're surviving. Like you know, it was instant. I was like, well, you're making it to the end. There's there's no, you know, there's no way you're not. Um, uh, but the ideas kept coming you know there was there's some interesting things in this that's so analog as well because obviously it's 51 he delivers it and a guy goes oh great you're here bring it straight in he goes whoa 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 i've got to check that you're you're the one of the people that can receive it pulls out a bunch of polaroids he's like yeah you're one of them you can come in <laughs> <laughs> just like what um it was just it was bizarre but it, it, you you say about that noblism like you say everyone does what they're supposed to do like nobody ever really questions anything. It's constantly sort of like, I've delivered this box, and now I'm going to stick around and learn about the contents. At no point does anyone go, "Well, you're done, mm. out, out the door, please." You 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 need some sort of security clearance to be in this room to go and do you know to see what's in this box. No, no, I'll I'll just stick around. Thank you very much. Um, I the one thing I did like though, and I thought was interesting, is he's getting his this this um Hend Hend was it Hendron. Is getting his science, um, scientific sort of theories and his uh, outputs, his results, peer, peer um, reviewed. The whole start of the film is him going, "I've got these. Can someone check my homework?" Basically, mm-hmm. and I was, I was mm-hmm. really impressed. There's, because there's, in now, as you say, it be like it comes out of a computer. Everyone takes it as read that it's correct, and there'll be mm-hmm. a drop line, and they move on. This is like they spend like a good five ten minutes going. Now we're going to check these results, mm-hmm. and there's going to be some tension around it. And I, I, enjoy, I actually liked that there was a bit of. No, we're not taking it as red. We are going to check these results, and we're going to do this. So, what were your thoughts on that sort of uh, that introduction of the character? No, I, I did. I hadn't even really thought about that that much. I mean, you're right that that sort of disappeared. You know, I was thinking of it in terms of like every time there's a astrological um, um, discovery. It, it goes through exactly this, where there's an mm. announcement, and it's like, well, we'll see what really comes of this once other people can confirm this. Um, you know, I I liked, there's this sort of scene where Randall gets on the elevator, and I think it's Joyce, the daughter of Hendren, who um, is on there, and she assumes that he knows what's mm. in it, right? And so that's sort of the sort of ex- uh, excuse for keeping him around. Um, that they assume that he knows this, but I thought that that was quite well done. And I thought, oh, mm. this is that plot line from every other disaster movie mm. where it's like, you know, they here's the prototype, and I think this works as well or better than most of them. Um, and I like quite like that. Like, I love the scene of him burning money. Uh, you yes. know, where he's like, yeah, you told me that money's not going to matter very soon, and. Here we're 20 minutes later in the movie and he's burning money, having fun with it. Um, I thought, you know, boy, that's a classic scene of just one of those characters having discovered, oh, wait, everything that mattered to me a day before 
doesn't matter anymore. And we've seen versions of that scene in a million disaster movies. We have. Better than that. Oh, no, it is. And it, I, but I think it's because of the way he approaches it. He approaches it almost in a sort of like a jovial tone. You know, like it's it's got a slight yeah. edge to it. But he's like yeah. he's literally burning money to light cigars and stuff and cigarettes. And he, I love it when he offers it. There's a rich woman on the table next to him. And he offers, oh, do you like light? And she's like, she's not sure what to make of it. <clears throat> and they're out dancing. And, you know, it sort of it sets up the love triangle as well in this sort of, you know, starts to set up the love triangle between uh, 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 Joyce, uh, Dr. Drake and, and, and uh, David Randall. And so, like, there's all that going on. But I like the fact, but it's 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 just sort of nice. Is <laughs> the pro you know in the in when this is addressed later on in in a modern disaster film that same scene would come with angst, wouldn't it? That's the thing of like, mm. like you know yeah the world doesn't it would come with a level of depression like you know, it wouldn't just be him burning a hundred dollar note it'd be someone just pouring all the money into a bin and burning the lot or you know smashing something it'd be sort of like it, they'd up the ante yeah. of like it doesn't matter anyway it's all a waste <laughs> you know sort of thing drunk you and in a dr- like a michael bay movie like, you know that, right. but that's it, it think, yeah think armageddon you know yeah. the, 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 there's that thing of like you know they'd probably be drunk in a dressing gown you know <laughs> and throwing a, a whiskey bar. be a bar fight yeah, exactly. Like th- this scene gets ex- uh, gets expounded into all kinds of things. I mean, you know, this is the same scene. If, uh, if you think um, Independence Day, you know, when Jeff Bolt, when they realise they can't defeat the aliens, and Jeff Goldblum gets gets drunk and sort of, you know, throws the bottle around. So like, it's that moment I say the realization that nothing matters. But this is sort of just again, just it's incredibly well. They're all out dancing. That no one's in fighting. No one's you know, arguing, it's all very nice. Um, which I, I, I enjoy, and I can take it in the context of the 50s, but I still struggle with, like, no, no. In my head, I'd be like, how, what? Like, how do I deal with this? Like, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. But... No, I have the same thoughts, and, and, and I do think that, I mean, there's certainly room for, like, say, somebody acting recklessly, you know, and, and, and seeing that without it being so overdone, you know, as it, as it is today. But what I thought was, um, you know, thinking of it from a sort of writing standpoint that, you know, one of the things that I'm very attracted to are uh, movies and and comics and and books where I understand the point of every scene. And every scene isn't just like advancing the plot. It's sort of like, well, you know, I mean, part of the glory of a lot of these older movies is that, you know, you could take out most of those scenes. Uh, I mean, really, there's 20 minutes of material in this movie, <laughs> and the rest is elaborations. And the scene of him burning money, I mean, I guess from a from a character point of view, you need some sort of scene to just show an adjustment has gone on. Mm. But the subtlety, the the rich nuance of of having that money being burned. And, you know, I mean, it's set up and, pay, you know, and dialogue mm. and paid off very quickly. But I think that scene is sublime. I mean, mm. as as scenes go, uh, ways to illustrate that change. I've never seen that. That's pretty damn good. And what sticks with you as a viewer is the money being burnt. It's the subtlety. Yeah. It's that nuance rather than, oh, nobody remembers those bar fights, right? Nobody remembers the uh, all the overdone stuff. I know what you're saying about like them being too 
goody two shoes. But mm. I don't know. Maybe I've just watched so much Star Trek that it doesn't <laughs> bother me. Or maybe I mean I've been in love triangles where somebody said, you know, nah, no, you're you're right. Better off with you, you know. And I'm like, whoa, how is that? <laughs> yeah. You're you're waiting to stab me later, aren't you? You know. Yeah. I was like, no. So I don't know. I mean. I, I kind of roll with it, but I know what you're saying. Well, the thing is, as well, some uh, uh, yeah, it, it it does feel a little underdone in time in places. There are moments from a story point of view I feel are underdone. However, you say about some of the the plot bits of that some of the stuff in this, I I like that they face it head on as well. So when they actually come to building the ship, there, there's there's two bits that I really enjoy. The first is they 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 identify that they need capital, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Well, we've got we've got to fund this." Like this, because in many cases, it's sort of like, "Well, the government's been building this ship for the last eighteen years that we didn't know about, and it's that's lucky." Um, you know, like, even in like t- you mentioned, like two thousand and twelve, uh, the the film was, "Oh, we've got these arcs that have been mm. hidden in the mountains." He's like, "Oh Christ!" Like that, you know. At least with this, they're like, "Right, we need the money." And so we have to sort of like make a deal with the devil kind of thing. And you bring this guy in. But more than that, they actually turn to their students or these young. And they're like, they, they make this thing about, no, these are the younger people. These are the people that need to be on it. And they mm-hmm. say, like, there's two scenes of them talking to the women and, and these, these class of men going, you're our best engineers and our best researchers and all this other stuff. Like, you know, you are the people of the future. And it feels like, although I sort of, you know, you joke about the, the, the goody two-shoes nature of it. There's a positivity about the future of this film. Although the the world is ending, there's still this positivity of like, no, the younger generations are going to go on and do amazing things. And I just felt that that sort of carried through in this film about sort of like, and we'll get on to maybe generational theory, but like in this, there's an older generation going like, we've had our time, we've we've had our dues, like you know, let's let the younger people take these ideas on and stuff. And I thought that's really interesting because you know I, I don't think you get that as much these days. Mm-hmm. Unless it was sort of like, well, we've got to appeal to the four quadrants, so we've got to make sure there's a younger audience, you know, so we've got to get the young people in there. But like literally in this, all the older people are there to facilitate this ship that's going to carry the younger people off. And I just thought that was really interesting, sort of. Yeah, like, I, I, I like that. I mean, it's a little bit World War Two, right? I mean, it's like, you know, everybody I know who was in World War Two was like, yeah, I mean. Some of our commanders told us to do stupid shit, but you did it and you figured like, well, I just hope I don't die. (laughs) Well, we're still going to do it. Right. We were told to. And what are you going to do? I mean, you know, we're fighting Hitler or something. You know, (laughs) you're going to people are going to die. And people didn't complain as much Mm. not to not to fall into some, you know, uh, you know, greatest generation crap, because I think that's crap, you know, Mm. Um, it wasn't exactly examined thinking, but I think, you know, what's, what's interesting is that is the way they should be. I, you know, I also thought that the, a lot of the younger generation is like, yeah, they're, you're in my age, right? They're not, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. not really kids. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing is, you know, um, yeah, yeah, th- yeah. Right. But today it's like all the baby boomers, you know, are like, no, you know, I want that tax cut. You give that to us old people, you pay for college yourself. We got it for $100 a semester. You guys, I don't care if you go in debt for $100,000 for four years. Good luck with that. I want mine. So there is sort of that 
it does feel like that would not be the case today. No, and that that's exactly it. And that was the comparison I was as I watched this was exactly that was this idea of the sort of this older you know like you get like uh, Hendron and, and I forget the other guy's name that his mate he was sort of like we're building this ship and you know but they're really at times hammer home the fact that like no no the crew and everything else will be the younger generation and not you say younger like you say it's it's the same as like the C you know any any high school student in the CW yeah they're probably over thirty. But it, it's a real focus on the future. And I just found that refreshing. And especially at the moment when there is this thing of sort of like, you know, yes, I understand respect, you know, respect your elders and, and this other thing of, you know, the experience of life. But there's this real sort of like knocking of, of the younger generations at the moment. And going like, well, yeah, we don't want this and we don't want that. And, you know, well, you have to sort this out for yourselves. And it's sort of like, but this was really like, no, no, we are building for the future. And it, it mm-hmm. had that sort of ideal, idealistic uh, sentiment that I sort of felt was, oh, this is this is a really positive. Despite the fact the world's ending, this, there's a real positivity <laughs> to this film, which which is which was pleasant. Right. And it does sort of. um it does sort of know that it's raising that, right? Mm. In the sense of uh, Stanton, the the rich dude, you know, saying, you know, they have these discussions about human nature, uh, you mm. know, and he's like, just to be safe, let's make sure we get machine guns, which wind up only being used against them, which is yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like people should have that attitude about the younger generation. I mean, and and I know a lot of people who do. Um, you know, I certainly have, you know, had many of these conversations where, you know, you know, what, what matters is, is all in the long run, what, uh, what young people have to deal with. Um, that doesn't mean that while I'm alive, I'm not going to still try to make great art and make awesome podcasts and everything Mm. else. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, if you have a choice, what matters is that the policies and stuff, you know, uh, uh, make for a better world going forward. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's also interesting that Stanton is the rich, as far as presentations of the world, the rich are presented as jerks, <laughs> right? Oh, like, yeah, a, yeah. A lovely view of humanity, but it's not a, I mean, it's a very, in some ways it's a, you know, it's a very American sort of, uh, you know, rosy 50s sort of depiction, but it's an, weirdly anti-capitalist. mm well, you're right because again, like Stanton is 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 akin to Potter. Like you know, he from a, it's a wonderful life. Like, I I instantly made that judgment. But the other character, when he's burning the money, uh, the woman turns it of the office of the rich woman. She turns his nose up him, and there's a real sort of snootiness to that. Like, <laughs> no, you know, and it's there's yeah, this anti-capitalist, anti-rich um, sort of feel to the film. The other thing as well is I found it was which was interesting is this. Uh, project this this rocket ship is there is no or at least I, I could pick up there's no real tie to the government this is mm-hmm. almost like a private project that's been funded mm-hmm. and at no point did they ever really go into sort of like well the government's got their rocket or they're doing this or doing that it's like no no you're gonna sit with this it's 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 very much about the individuals this is about you know and i won't say it's anti-government oh, there's, mm-hmm. there's no anti-government sentiment but it's very much de- detached from this idea of government taking control. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And you and we've had a lot of conversations about sort of how uh, movies present the government and how they mm. present um, what sort of government uh, or police can be successful. And here it's just absent. Here, yeah. I mean, one is, I, I mean, and you do find yourself wondering 
although I find myself wondering this about a lot of movies where that are much later and don't have this excuse, what the larger world is like, right? Yes. Um, you know, what about the uh, other five billion people who are like, you know, I guess we just have to die. What did their governments do? I mean, you know, what, were there countries where they just said, yeah, don't believe this uh, American ski propaganda or uh, are, are there, you know, did the government try to at least, I don't know, you know, I mean, do you see evacuations going on? That is clear. Uh, yeah, clear. but only from the coast. And that was right. the thing I thought was interesting because, again, the thing I picked up, because we'll talk about the special effects and the, the, the destruction scenes in this, which are wonderfully quaint but we'll get to those <laughs> but, but you're right but the, the two things i thought was interesting is there's a scene where um they are giving a demonstration of the of the design of the ship and how it's going to work it's a little exposition scene of like we're going to use gravity and it's going to push off and blah blah blah. and i'm like okay cool that you get that in every that again that's another thing like if you've watched like armageddon or any of these things like it's there the same things there's going to be that moment where they give you the sort of dumbed down explanation of how this is going to work. Brilliant. I'm happy with that. You know, it looks fine, but it struck me as like, so this is a private design that Hendron's come up with. He appears to be keeping it to himself. <laughs> at any point, is he sort of gone, look, I know there's no internet, so you can't be like, I'm publishing on the internet. If you can build this and here's the instructions, go for it. But like, surely, like he could have been because they mentioned like the UN as well, you know, in this in the film. Like, surely at some point he could be going like, um, right, if you want them, here's the blueprints. Like, here's how this will work. Here's how the weight capacity. Here's everything I've got. Here's all my calculations. Mm -hmm. If you want to build one or many, go for it. Yeah, you know, it, it, it seems no, that's a, bit... a very good point. Um, and and that UN business is really. Outside of the newspapers indicating evacuating the coast, that that scene with the UN that is later called a subcommittee meeting, mm. um, you know, where they Dr. Hendren speaks and is sort of denounced. That's the only real functioning government officials who you see in the film. And and it is done almost in a ridiculing way. Right. Mm. Like, I mean, at least the UN is incompetent. Um, and later on, you hear through dialogue Oh, scientists have recanted that. They just now think the rocket won't work. Um, yeah. But you make a very good point. You know, I mean, there's no attempt to even interact with the outside world. Well, I mean, what does the outside world think about all these people being stationed in the middle of nowhere? You know? Yeah. Because, yeah, again, like I say, when we, when we get to the evacuation and you see those evacuations, it's evacuating people from the coast to come inland. So they acknowledge that the planet or at least the star coming past is going to have a detrimental effect to something. They talk about tsunami, they talk about tidal waves, earthquakes. So they know something's coming. Um, but, the, the, you know, but so it doesn't work. So we're just going to bring everybody inland. Um, and like you say, if this had been a more modern film, you know, if this, if, this, well, if this was a modern film, you would have that montage of, well, firstly, the destruction scene would last at least another 28 minutes. You know, it's just going to yeah. go on and on. But you would get that montage of, you know, here's um, another, you know, here's how it's going on in the States. Here's how it's going on in India, in China, mm -hmm. in Russia, in Europe, in, you know, in France or wherever. You know, landmark. And then when you do get the, uh, the, the devastation, it's like, right, you know, cliche of landmark number one, landmark number two, all being destroyed in different ways. 
Um, and, and so, yeah, but that wider world this one, is the one thing in this film where I was like, I wonder what's going on just over that hill. Like, what's, you know, what is going on outside the compound? Mm-hmm. And you never really get that. And I, I assume there's budgetary restraints and, and everything else would, would have been going on at this point. But it feels like a strangely small film for, for, the, for the plot. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Uh, I don't know that I mind that. Um, no, no, no. You know, and I think that sort of like gestures in that direction uh, are made, I, I think, a little more. I mean, even just some dialogue about like, what is the United States government doing? Um, you know, some some dialogue about that would go a long way, even a couple lines. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as like, you know, certainly you're right in in a present day depiction, they would have those sorts of scenes. Um, mm. But those movies also feel so padded to me. Right. I mean, they're they're First of all, they're always two hours plus. Right. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, three hours. Yeah. And most of it is so terrible. Right. <laughs> you know, um, you know, and you and I are both fans of sort of what you said, the sort of quaint special effects where, you know, you go for something. And um, and I think those those current incarnations, you know, first of all, you have the the you know, full plot lines for every stupid character, most of whom are cliches, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, you know, I'm not here to watch a Lifetime movie, guys, you know, uh, this dispenses with all of that. I mean, it does have this love triangle, um, but, uh, you know, it, it mostly is confined to a series of scenes and mm-hmm. I get, and all of those scenes have are doing something. They're interesting in some way. They're not just, oh, well, we gotta show the how the rest of the world is reacting. I'd prefer if they did, but I prefer if they did it in a minute. I don't need the half an hour. Oh no, I agree. This this doesn't need. Uh, when I say like a montage, like that's all mm-hmm. it needs. Like you know, sort of like oh, yeah. a short a short montage, maybe even two. Give me two sort of montages into this film. One that says, "Here's the world doing their preparations," and then maybe post post disaster his parts of the world dealing with it just to see what's going on a bit now i, I know there's obviously um budget restraints because you've got to show certain things there'll be certain shots you've got to set up and all the do all the miniatures and stuff but i think from what you're saying like you say the, the, there's a uh, filmmakers now the firstly they're in love with the the you know the disaster porn of it all look, look what we can show you know how many uh national monuments can i show him destroyed in a in a you know 15 minute section um and then you gotta say you have to sort of round out oh they they think they're padding out every character they're not really they're giving them something to do but they don't really have a personality they have sort of like a, you know they're usually stereotypes mm-hmm. in some way um and this is very functional in that way it's very sort of concise and i appreciate that but i just yeah if it was just a little if it breathed a little more into the world i think i'd, I'd be a um even like say a radio in the background or something, and they all mm. gathered around to hear what was going on in the rest of the world. Like, I'd be interested to see something like that. It's um, a very good device. I mean, that's exactly the kind of thing that you'd imagine them doing without raising the budget. Mm. Um, and you can imagine that working very well. Because they do have, they do do that at one point. They do have them like a an SOS or a sort of a distress call mm. coming in because they go out in the helicopter and that sort mm. of mm-hmm. results in them. 
use that device a little more to sort of give us that information. But um, it, it, it's not as detrimental as I thought it would be. I still enjoyed this film and sort of like was pulled along with it. Um, I think that distress call kind of like substitutes for a lot of that. And I find that whole mm. distress call sequence very odd. Like, why are you <laughs> flying out in this in this weird, you know, I mean, it's one of those old fashioned helicopters where, you know, I mean, I have vertigo. So I'm thinking like, you know, I've got to hold on so I don't fall out. Good God. Um, you know, but, you know, why I get that you're a humanitarian, but you're giving supplies to people who are going to be dead in hours anyway. Yeah, you know? I thought that. Uh, I, I, yeah, when they drop, there's a small island with like, they look like nurses yeah. and, and stuff on. It's and they so drop bizarre. them. Yeah, and they dropped them some supplies. And all I was thinking is, like, they're dead in, like, half a day. You surely need those because you've rationed what you've got at the barracks. Like, I know it's mean, but, you know, it seems a bit pointless. Well, um, not to mention you're taking a risk flying out in this helicopter over, <laughs> like, all of Manhattan is flooded, right? This island is, like, supposedly close to Manhattan. I don't know what island this is. I mean, it's it's too small to be, you know, I mean, it's like a hill that yeah. survived over the water. Um, but, you know, you're flying over vast stretches of flooded landscape. <laughs> you, know, cl- you know, clearly there's the fuel involved. There's a risk to the personnel. God forbid those nurses have guns and they're like, you know, bring that help because they're stranded. Yeah. They're str- I mean, what, where are you going to go? This is that goody two shoes nature of it. They sort of like they drop them some stuff, and at no point does anyone sort of go. They're just like, "Well, thanks very much, chum. We'll see you next time." And the pilot, "All right, <laughs> fly off." Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's, even that kid. Like, I like that the kid is like tied. He's got yes. some kind of like contraption where he's you know uh, rags that he's tied mm. to the chimney, and you assume like his parents have drowned or or been swept away although there's no mention of it right because that would be too much of a downer um but you know it's like oh my lord first of all why is there one house why is there a roof sticking through you know a field right um but you know like oh my lord we can't leave that little boy really you're leaving like a billion boys to and girls to die on this planet it is. It's, they serve a purpose, don't they? It's that thing to remind you, like you say, post-devastation, it's, it's that glimpse of the world that's now been flooded. Uh, but also, you know, we have to remain um, heroic in this way, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so they have to have those scenes. They have to be given that. Because one of the things they, I will say is the end of this film, they, they for foreshadow or they, they well no they don't foreshadow they blatantly state that this thing is going to collide with the earth and it will destroy earth because mm-hmm. this other planet is traveling at speed and all this other stuff and i was thinking well so's earth you know earth mm-hmm. is traveling at speed as well I, and then i don't i didn't want to try and get into the astrophysics of it because i didn't i wouldn't i don't want that but all i could think all that sort of struck me and we'll get to the end of this when we get to the end of this film but if these two planets are literally going to collide, why is one surviving and not the other? And then when they land, well, surely there'll be like massive uh, eco disruption on the other planet as well because it's traveling. Well, I have an answer to this. Um, okay. I mean, but it, it has its own problems. So, yeah. I mean, it's strange that, you know, once they, 
to confirm this, right? They just, like, <laughs> the confirmation, it's like the look at some star charts and going like, okay, so the thing is, it's not that it's a rogue planet, right? It's a rogue star, yes. and Bellus is the star, and yes. Zira is the planet they're going to land on. Zira is just, like, orbiting around the star. It's caught in the star's gravity and being pulled right. with it, yeah. It's a solar system of one, mm. and, and, and the star is what's going to collide with Earth and destroy Earth. Mm. That planet is just rotating around this star that's going to destroy us somehow. It's not really, it says collide, although, you know, what are the odds that we're going to collide with a rogue star? Yeah, you'll be destroyed you know, before you get Presumably, yeah. well, I mean, really, Earth's, you know, um, orbit would be thrown off and, you know, I mean, mm. the gravitational effect. I find myself wondering, so, so that's the premise, right? Is like, that star is what's going to destroy Earth. And Zira is um, going to be okay, right? As a yeah. result, it's it's like one AU out or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, although I do find myself wondering, like I will do away with ever seeing anything else happening on Earth, but like I want to see, like what is that star going to do to the orbits of of Jupiter and Saturn? Yeah. Like I, I want to <laughs> see, like you know. Oh, really? You know, that you, you've thrown another, you know, solar mass into the solar system. Well, I want to see. That, yeah, well, that's what that. I was I was curious about that. And I thought I'm going to sort of put that to one side because like, if this is this star then bigger than our sun. So what happens then? Because there's like you said, there's two solar masses there with massive gravitational pull. Like, yeah, that's that. You know, I'm assuming this must have happened in space, like, you know, in, in an infinite space, and all the, you know, there's these collisions must happen. But I was like, right, but surely that oh, every other planet in our solar system is going to be pulled out of its orbit. The sun will then be, the gravitational will be sort of pulling on both of these. So, you know, it just, yeah, it was, just, I don't really need, this would be the problem with doing this film now mm-hmm. because you would then get, a whole CGI fest of the two planets collide or the star colliding with our uh, solar system, and you would see like Pluto disappear and so on and so forth. Is it like it gulfs the solar system? That would be the way it would, they'd have it almost as like a planetary countdown as it destroys all these things, <laughs> which is um, so dumb because they're at different places in their oh, orbits, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. What sorry, you mean the planets are not always in aligned? <laughs> I mean, this error is. <laughs> I mean, you know, that is almost as common as the, like, asteroid belts are just clock full. I, if I see <laughs> one more goddamn ship flying through asteroid belts, mm. uh, you know, where, you know, it's like, this stuff would be colliding all already. It's all yeah. polarized by now. It drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. But you know that's exactly what you'd see. You'd see that. You would yeah. have that planet. That planetary countdown would be there, like you know, it'd be some executive in, a, in a, you know, in the studio going, "Well, we need to know it's getting closer to Earth. So, can you destroy the planets as you get closer to Earth?" We we've based our depiction of this disaster movie on the video game Gyrus, where you're <laughs> <laughs> moving one planet closer to the sun. Yeah, you know that would happen. You know it happened. <laughs> <But, laughs> um, so there are bigger questions. Um, but there was some before we get it sort of jumps into this. One of the things you said before, though, this film is very science heavy without asking the big questions. It, does, it knows it doesn't want to answer those big questions. It doesn't want to get into sort of like the truth. And that they probably I don't know how much they'd have known in fifty one. You know, there was we were you know a couple of years away really from the space race kicking off. But 
it, it, it's quite upfront in this idea of like, no, no, it's great. We can do rockets and there's all this great stuff. And it's very sort of optimistic about science. However, religion hangs over this film quite heavy. And I was not expecting that, um, you know, as much as it does. It gets referenced repeatedly. Well, you, you have a problem with references to our divine creator? <laughs> it, it just, it, I don't know. No, not really. No, well, be, being atheist, I was a bit like, I was, I was rather nonplussed, but it no, just me too. felt, I mean, it, it felt sort of incongruous to a lot of what they were doing in the film, you know, this whole thing. But then, like you say, they get called out about sort of, uh, you know, about God. And then, and then they sort of, but they constantly sort of go like, well, God, you know, well, we, we trust in God and all this other stuff. And you're like, well, we you, you what it just, I don't, I don't know, it just... sure they talk about God except for like the oh so the opening you just think oh my God it's the fifties I get it everything's got to be have this religious stamp right um, yeah remember like Forbidden Planet I you know one of my favorite yes. sci-fi movies ever they land there and they're like you know they, there's that weird line about Jesus you know and you're yeah. like. There's no way we're getting to other planets and still believing in this stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. You know? um, but you know, so I just I just see that opening in the end is like, well, you know, it, it's giving that religious stamp of approval, but it's also like, you know, using this as, you know, saying like, oh, this this is a metaphor for the flood, or the flood is a metaphor mm. for this this sense of cataclysmic um, challenge to you know the civilization to the species survival um and you know obviously that's retrogressive right i mean because it's based on stone age religious beliefs uh (laughs) but uh but also but there is a way in which i also thought like by the end i thought that's kind of cool right because we have to be prepared for these sorts of events Right. Um, I mean, I am a passionate believer in, you know, I mean, if you don't want to get out into the stars, no matter how difficult you just hate humanity because we're all going to die here. Okay. And God forbid there's, you know, a a, a electromagnetic pulse or, or, you know, some cataclysmic problem like this. We're still worried about asteroids and stuff. But, you know, we got all our eggs in one basket here on the planet. Um you know, so, I mean, I'm a, a firm believer in that, and there is this way in which, yeah, that, that Bible stuff is, is corny, but by the end, I think, like, there's a certain percentage of people that if they thought about it would say, oh, yeah, well, you know, the world flooded at one point, here's the, the modern thing, we'd better maybe have that rocket program up and going, maybe we should start building those arcs, you know? <laughs> You mean this film is going to call out to those sort of uh, more conservative religious types? Um, well, possibly. I don't know. But yeah. I don't remember them talking like you do about like God. How often do they do that through the it movie? It just crops up. It's one of those things. It just sort of crops up in conversation. Like it just dropped lines. It just felt like, was like because this film's so science focused it just felt at times a little bit incongruous but then like you say it was the 50s it had just been the dialogue i suppose it's a different time and it probably isn't even a, like you say the, the 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 beginning bit with the whole genesis thing and then, and then the end of that sort of it felt a little heavy-handed um and uh see the least, I, right? <laughs> yeah yeah but it, it 
it just felt at times a little inconclusive to me as a sort of again as a modern viewer watching this and sort of you know they do they reference this that sort of thing we're in the hands of God now kind of thing or there's another line similar to that and you're like well clearly you're not because you're building the rocket <laughs> like you've taken this on to do this like you know be you you're talking about how optimism for the future be upfront with this idea but then I don't think they could again different era sort of you know separated by eighty years or so. But, you know, I mean, you say that, and yet, like, yes, everything you are saying is absolutely correct. And and there is a way in which, like, in the 1950s, the obvious strains between science and, and faith are not as clear, right? I mean, you can still say more easily in the 1950s, like, yes, I am a believer, and religion allows me, or science allows me to explore uh, the divine creation and his plan, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and of course that's untenable nonsense, right? But you know, it's a little easier to believe that in the fifties than it is today. But what you're saying, you know, you make a perfectly good point. My only retort to that is I feel that today about everything. Like you say that as if like, we're not still doing that. I mean, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic and I hear people saying like, you know, well, let's pray for that. The vaccine rolls out. Don't pray oh, no. for it yeah, yeah. on the goddamn vaccine and, yeah. and, you know, wear your damn masks and stop, you know, you know, humans did this, right? God did yeah. not breathe into their skulls and make them realize how to make a vaccine. Okay. This was hard won scientific research over generations. Yeah. No, right? I agree. If, any, if anything, I think it's gotten worse. And I think mm. this is, is everything. We are we are living through an era of polarization, you know. Um, and, and weirdly, let's say, because I think I am, I try not to be polarizing. I try not to be in that case. You know, that common sense sometimes is a middle ground. In the, the, I want to say middle ground, it's like accepting people's views. Doesn't mean I, you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to say <laughs> there's a deity of any shape or form. But, you know, I'm willing for, I'm happy for people to have those beliefs. Not my problem. Right. But in this this film sort of seems to be like that mashup of it. It's almost like, if anything, we've regressed. If, you know, if you were to take that, this is like there's an optimism for the future generations. There's an optimism in science in this film. You know, there's an optimism, and then, yet they are still like you know in that sort of like you said the goody two shoes in that sort of yeehaw chum chum kind of way will make this this journey, and it all sort of blends together in this sort of this fashion. Now, like you say, there's that polarization of like, no, 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 we are hard science, and you know, like you say that you, you and I, both, we just, you know, we've both admitted we are both atheists. But I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a. Um, it's hard to say, like, you know, I suppose you can't really say a devout atheist. I'm not in that in that way that I'm like, I'm not going to go out and start trying to sort of like, you know, convince people otherwise. I don't want to sort of get into debates mm -hmm. with people online about their religious beliefs. That's not. I'm not there to convince anyone otherwise. But there are there are the, those that do. You know, there are strongly um, held beliefs or others or non-beliefs. I don't know how you describe it, really. But there are people online that will go out, pick a fight or, you know, a debate or a fight with a religious person, you know, to then try and put, pick their religious belief apart. And I think that's wrong in, for many reasons. But then on the other side, you have those sort of like, you know, the those that do believe that will constantly sort of throw shade at everyone else to the extent of going, well, I don't think... Uh, I need to wear a mask or have the vaccine because mm -hmm. I have 
I've been bathed in the blood of Jesus. And you go, all right, well, that's creepy on so many levels, but all right. <laughs> you be, you do you. Um, I, I don't know. I just think like this film, we, we, I almost feel like we've regressed from the position <laughs> of the early fifties. Um, no, I think that's true. Right. I mean, because, you know, I mean, it's disgusting to say, but look, I mean, you know, there was a sense of, I mean, when people, you see this sort of like goody two shoes thing, I mean, even through like Joe McCarthy, there was a sense of we're all in it together. Yeah. Joe McCarthy was censured. Joe McCarthy was, you know, his own party turned against him. And yes, it was still an ugly chapter and uh, persecution of leftists in this country, not even communists, you know, certainly went back. I mean, Wilson was doing it. You know, this was just the newest Red Scare. And, you know, HUAC was underway before McCarthy got into it. So even in the midst of all of that, there was a sense of we're in this together. Um, you know, I mean, Democrats and Republicans cross lines way more than they do now. In fact, in the 1950s, people complained that there wasn't enough of an ideological distinction between the two parties. We've progressed quite a bit since then. Um, <laughs> progressed so, or regressed, I think, yeah. Well, you know, we, we have answered that uh, newspaper hot take <laughs> in a radical way. Um, but I do think that, you know, and I do think that um, as, as disgusting to me as like the Catholic League is, um, you know, and, and HUAC was and, and all of this, I think that there was a sense of like, well, we're not going to argue against science. Mm. You know, you don't hear about uh pulpits denying uh evolution denying you know uh you know i mean they might not believe in evolution but they wouldn't deny basic elements of science mm. today it is exactly as you say that it's so polarized and i think the reality on the ground is that you know you were talking about being an atheist and i am too you know most of my friends to you know most of the people that i encounter and I'm sure the same thing with you. Um, we are in in countries that where the majority of people have faith of some sort, whether mm -hmm. devout or church going or not. Most of the people we encounter have are not atheists. Mm -hmm. um, they're perfectly capable of following science, following procedures. A doctor who is a Christian or a Hindu is perfectly capable of following protocol and mm -hmm. having private beliefs that don't greatly influence their practice. That's fine. No possible argument between us and them. Um, and I would, in fact, defend their right to continue with those beliefs were mm -hmm. they ever challenged by the government. Um, but we, but you do see this sort of shift. But there was a sort of agreement, a sort of tacit agreement, a sort of tacit consent of the governed of like, well, when the scientists come down and the government decides this is policy, we're going to go along with this. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're in it together. You know, none of us really get our way. We can bitch about it, you know, in bars. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is government policy. And I don't, you know, Charles Lindbergh, Nazi that he was, mm. when we went to war, said, uh, I'm going to enlist and I will shut up about all of my complaints about being an isolationist. An isolation because I want us to win. I may yeah. not have wanted us to get into this war, but now we're in it 
and I'm an American and I want us to win. I don't see that kind of coming together today. <laughs> well, I think it comes down to, and if anything, you know, uh, we're going down this rabbit hole. Yeah. It, it happens on both a macro and micro level. You know, you talk about that as a nation, like, you know, nation states now being um, divided. I mean, especially with the vaccine, you know, you've got some, you've got private companies, you know, Pfizer or, you know, uh, AstraZeneca or whatever going like, oh, we've, we've agreed to deliver this much, but we can't. So we're going to deliver this much at the moment. We'll, We'll catch up. And then countries going like, yeah, but your factory's in our country, so uh, ain't leaving our borders, mate. You know, <laughs> so it's just the way it is. And so you you see that, again, I understand that there's, there's, it's, that's a real simplification of what's going on. But there's this, ma on a macro level, there's this real sort of like, we're not in it together. On a, you know, this anti-globalization or this, this move away from globalization that, well, if we're all, if we all help, we're all better, which makes us all, which, which helps everybody. Like we, like you said, we're all in it together. No, no, no. The people within my sort of these borders that you know mean nothing in the in the grand scheme of things. I've got, to, I've got to do my bit because that's what I've promised. And this this growth of nationalism then goes down to the next level internally, where you go, well, I'm mm. Labour, I'm Conservative, I'm a Lib Dem, I'm whatever. All right, so you're now going to be down party lines, okay? And then you know. I, think we, I don't know if it was you and I that was talking about it before, but this idea of labels and stuff are going like, you know, I'm free to be gender fluid, you know, whatever. But, I, you know, and you go, okay, brilliant. I'm, I'm happy for you to be whatever you want. In fact, I recently sort of tweeted about the, this idea. You know, the idea of being gender fluid actually seems incredibly common sense to me, the more I thought about it. But then you get people still going, yes, but I'm still in this box, you know, or you can't call me this, or you can't say this, you can't do that. I'm like, well, Instead of becoming, instead of you know espousing sort of fluidity and ideas and stuff, you're now creating divisions mm -hmm. in in order to sort of you know in order to, to progress your idea, you're actually creating further divisions, and it's almost like we don't know how to do that without creating borders and people sort of get scared and they go, well, I'm in this box, I'm in this camp, this is my clan, and I'm going to stay here, you know, release the Snyder Cut, that sort of thing, and you go, all right, well. <laughs> If that's the shit, that's the hill you want to die on. That's the one you want to die on. Go for it. But it, it's just sort of like you say, there isn't, there is no longer that sort of what's it? A rising tide, you know, helps all ships. Lifts all ships, John F. Kennedy. Yeah. yeah. It's it's um, now a case of like the rising tide uh, is going to help me, and I'm going to sinkle you with a bastard ships as we go up. That seems to be the mentality now. Well, and I think there's too much of that. I mean, and and you know. Um... You know, I mean, and it is true about like the Snyder Cut and popular culture, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, and it's been true for a long time. Right. I mean, these Nike shoes define me as a person and screw you and your Adidas loyalty. Right. I mean, <laughs> come on. You know, but I mean, that's become, you know, I, I will agree that, you know, I mean, one of the things that upsets me the most is the ways in which, um, um, you know, you, you were talking about jargon and insider outsider sort of language, you know, this politically correct, you know, uh, you know, intersex is a, is a, you know, useful term. Okay. Explain that to somebody. It's annoying to have to explain it to everybody, you know, when you're not the, you know, you're not your job as an intersex mm -hmm. person mm -hmm. is to elevate everybody else's consciousness. Mm. But, you know, um, but if somebody uses the wrong term, you know, in real life, this usually isn't a problem. My trans friends are, you know, will be like, yeah, okay. They're still struggling a little, but 
yeah, their heart's in the right place. Well, you know, we'll get there. Meanwhile, my parents threw me out at 16. You know, yeah. I'm more worried about that. But we have become very stratified. And, you know, to get back to, you know, sort of that film and that optimistic depiction, um, I mean, it gets back to that why I don't mind this sort of, I mind it at the beginning, quotes. Mm-hmm. At the end, I don't mind this so much because I feel like what's been presented is the idea of a sort of collective effort um, of being stronger together. Um, at no point do uh, the characters argue over politics, you know, like, oh, you're, you know, I bet you voted for Eisenhower, didn't you? <laughs> you, know, um, you know, I mean, Eisenhower wasn't in office then, but, you know, Truman, you know, mm. um, I bet you voted for Truman, you know. I wish we could throw you off this you know, rocket ship. You know, I mean, that stuff doesn't happen. Um, and, and I think that was true of the time, too. You know, you, you didn't you didn't expect to have those those conversations. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I like the idea at the end that it's a collective effort. We're stronger together. You're talking about this rise of nationalism. As faulty as this movie is, if if it were taken today is the message of we as a species have to be prepared for events like this because uh, they will happen. Mm. Uh, and we have to be preparing. We have to make sure that we can inhabit this planet and we have to also be prepared for the fact that, you know, things are going to change. And, you know, we we have had a, a you know, what scares me is we have had a nice window here between ice ages, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, without magnetic pole shifts, we've had a, you know, a lot of, and with minimum uh, asteroid impacts. In that time, we have invented writing, and we have managed to send crafts outside of the solar system. How amazing is that? But that window ends any given year. There's a, you know, half of 1% chance. Maybe we ought to be focused on this instead of on fishing rights. You know, know, you're right. I mean, that's one of the things. I mean, you know, Brexit is in a nutshell, isn't it, though? That that idea of isolationism and and the small Britain. And I'm willing to sort of acknowledge that more than, you know, you know. I'll admit there are times, um, you know, I'm able to pull myself away from the desk and do I'll take the, you know, sky out for a walk and I'm walking through a field it's a lovely day even today sort of you know the sky's blue it's cold but the sky's blue and you look around it's beautiful and i look up and you do you think well, you know we've done all right as a species but you look out and the thing that i and i have these moments of existential sort of like dread where it's beautiful everything's wonderful and i look up and just think beyond that blue is an expanse of frozen nothingness outside of this outside of our atmosphere is all kinds of stuff that we have no um concept of and you know i and sometimes you do too much reading i think you know sometimes if i don't understand it enough but i've read just enough to be scared you know (laughs) and you say about like the you know the polar um magnetic caps and the fact that they're supposed to shift and we're about seven hundred fifty thousand years uh beyond um no no sorry 70 it was 75 or seven hundred fifty thousand years uh over the last time it should have happened. So we're beyond when it's supposed to have happened. Um, and also things like uh, solar flares, we're due a massive one of those that can affect things and all this other stuff. And you sort of stood there and you're going like, yeah, all of this is massively out of my hands. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I have got, you know, on a cosmic level, there is stuff that could mess us up. Yet, even a, mac- a much smaller level, we are pumping crap into the atmosphere. We're mm-hmm. dropping plastic into the oceans. We are killing ourselves, you know, when the, the cosmos pretty much doesn't care about us and we'll probably do it anyway. And then you just think, we, why, why, are we, why are we overfishing things? Even to that, macro, that micro level, you do go, we are just overfishing the ocean. Why? To keep 13,000 people in a job in Britain. The lunacy of that. When you look at the wider thing and go, why don't you take those ships and instead of them fishing fish, which won't be eaten now because we can't sell the fecking things in, in Europe <laughs> and no one in Britain actually likes the fish that they're fishing, take those nets, take those ships and trawl for plastic out of the crap out of the sea. Mm. Pay for that and come back and recycle it into pellets and use it for something else to build houses out out of in you know the, the North Africa or, you know, here you go. Like, oh, now you're sounding like such a hippie. Look at hippies. Yeah. You know? um, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, uh, I'm a vegetarian and I'm moving in the vegan direction. And a big part of it is the damage to this planet. Mm-hmm. These are not sustainable industries. Uh, I mean, in my country, we had people dying in, in meat plants, and the, which you cannot make secure the way they do it. And I and I have come to the realization that the way we treat those carcasses of animals flooding on a conveyor belt, you know, one every five seconds uh, being injected with, you know, additives to make the meat mm-hmm. taste better is related to the way that we treat those humans on that conveyor belt line. Um, and I don't want to be a part of that system. I don't want to be a part of the system that, that does that. Um, yeah. But, you know seeing us as, you know, it's the shot of the earth from space, right? You know, I think of all of this air, all of the the clouds, all of the atmosphere that we rely on is this tiny ribbon, like this little cellophane clinging to this giant rock. Um, It's so tenuous. We are so tenuous. And you're right. All of these things are, are too big for the mind to comprehend and too big for us to individually um, change. And yet, in any given year, it's easy to say, you know, just like uh, cold weather in Texas, it's probably not going to happen this year. Let's spend that money on something else. Let's spend that money on fighting the French over fish or, you know, whatever it is that we do and and all this nonsense. Um, but do you know what? <clears throat> Texas is a good example. I think, and I say about the fishing thing is a good example in this country. But this idea of green energy—I mean, energy is is, a, is an interesting one. But one of the arguments, and it was—I uh, saw it at the um, uh, Joe Biden's press secretary. What's she called? Um, mm. Can't remember her name. And she's great. She's great. I, yeah. I, I love the fact she's snarky and she'll she'll have to bite you <laughs> back. She's fun. She's wonderful. But anyway, um, there were basically this idea of the, the new green deal and all that sort of stuff. And he's, he's you know an executive order closed down the building of that that oil pipeline and all that sort of stuff. And instantly they would come back with like, well, this means that we're going to lose thousands of jobs. And you know, firstly, it wasn't because no one had actually been hired. It was future projection for jobs. It's a different matter. But then they're like, so so when are these people going to get their green jobs? And you go, well, in the next couple of years, like it's, a, it's, a, it's not an instant thing. It's going to happen over time. 
Oh, uh-huh. it's not good enough. It's not good enough. All right. So you want to spend in order to keep people instantly in a job, which you you know we, there are ways and means of, of these of evolutions have got to happen. Move away from things in order to keep these people in a job. And I'm sure there's other things they can do. Um, you're willing to basically fuck over this planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, for the, next, I mean... for the next ten years, ten years. If you want to keep someone in a job for the next ten years, say. All right, just keep them economically viable, and they could be doing something else. You want to basically screw over the planet for the next fifty thousand years, right? The short, well, my, the short sightedness of it all it, it baffles me nowadays. Well, and it's and it's the, you know, it's also the, the zero sum thinking, right? And that's what the end of this movie gets at, right? Um, you know, first of all, those those thousand jobs from that oil pipeline. Those are a thousand temporary jobs. Those are not permanent jobs. Those are like one thousand people being employed for one year. Who gives a damn? You know. Yeah. Um, secondly, the the solar and clean energy jobs energy jobs are already here. You know, yeah. it's not like you know, it's not like this is an industry that nobody's invented yet. This is a growing industry that's had a thousand jobs added to it at least every <laughs> year. You know, I mean, it's growing like hotcakes. Um, so, you know, it's not like those thousand jobs. I mean, all of this is stupid. But as you say, it's like, you know, I feel like, um, you know, the one of the moments where I realized that, you know, I lived in a fascist country was when oil is pumping into the Gulf of Mexico mm. and it's rolling up onto, and this gets back to the faith argument and how divided we are, it, it's rolling onto the Texas beaches. The governor of Texas says... Our plan to address this is to pray the oil away and organizes people to go down to the beaches and pray that that oil doesn't hit Texas shores. Yeah. And then there are protests in the street. We need those jobs back. Damn that Obama shutting down the oil rigs in the midst of you know, a global level catastrophe. How dare he shut? We need those jobs back now. Yeah. And it's like. As you said, if, if the job was to distribute plutonium unrefined to every house in the country and, you know, make every house radioactive and somebody said, you know, this is really killing people. This is terrible. We need to stop doing this. Somebody would say, you know, a lot of people are employed poisoning every American. We yeah. need to keep those jobs. What about those jobs? It's, what are you talking about? It, it is. It's, it's the. It, it, it just go much that thing about the praying. It makes that that thing of because it, it it's wrapped in a, an acceptable faith, so people will listen to it. It's no different to that coven of witches that went down to the New Forest in World War Two to cr- cast a spell to stop Hitler from invading Britain. <laughs> it's no different. Yeah. It's no different whatsoever. Um. But the, uh, you're, you're right. It's, it's this zero thing. They, they don't want progress. And again, this is where you know we're going to get into politics now. But the thing is, it's about it's about representation. It's about the instant, isn't the headline? An indignation sells. That's the thing. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. if a politician can go on on air, especially a Republican and, and Democrats do it as well. And same over here. You know, every party is looking for 
that that indignation, that righteous indignation, because then they can go, that's what I'm standing for, and I have a moral duty to stand up for this, whether it be jobs in the economy or our right to bear arms or right to fish, our sovereignty, our you know unions and labour, whatever it is, everyone is looking for that righteous indignation slogan. And, you know, it's why I, if I'm honest, I struggle to, I, I move from, I, I hand up when I was younger um, and I wasn't raised in a particularly conservative house, but I wasn't raised in a Labour house either. But when I, when I was able to vote, I voted conservative. I was young and stupid. I accept that. Right. So, mm-hmm. But you grow and you evolve and you think, yeah, no, the conservatives are screwed over this country. And then you start to learn, you go, okay, well, I'll vote for Labour. And then you go, well, you know, Labour's better, but they're still so tied to this idea of, of you know, uh, unionism and all these other things. Well, that's still restrictive. There's still things we can't do. We can't make things better because we're restricted by this. <clears throat> and it's it's hard to then vote for these because of the, the party politics. So you just look at everything and go, it's I'm voting for the best, you know, the lesser of lesser evil. Mm-hmm. But it's all still evil. And that's the you know, and that's where to get, get back to the film. I'm like, this film sort of projects this positivity of unification of, for, for the for the for the greater good and accepting, you know, all right. Well, I've got a bit apart from the end, and the end is almost feels tacked on, and we'll get to this the, the the indignation then. But there is this sense of sort of like, well, we've got to do this. We we are better together in this film that does just you know doesn't exist. I think anymore. Well, I mean, you know, I, I I reject the the phrase, you know, the the lesser of two evils. Mm. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we're talking about um, somebody who's not sufficiently good. Mm. Um, and there's a big difference between somebody who's not sufficiently good and somebody who's also evil. Um, but but I take your point, and you know. I passionately believe that, you know, I don't believe that Bellus is going to come zooming through our solar system. Uh, but we do face potential extinction level events. Um, a day will come in which we are faced with this. Yep. Our odds are not good presently of surviving. Nope. Um, on that day, I mean, we know this is coming. We have to be as prepared and and do our best to maximize our odds of survival as a species. Um, and this is not just, um, it's not America surviving. It's not mm-hmm. Britain surviving. It's us surviving as a species. And what I don't understand is, you know, we've evolved as, as a tribal species. You know, suspicious of that tribe over the hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kept us alive, frankly. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, they look different. They talk different. Let's, you know, be a little suspicious because odds are at some point they're going to try to kill us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a pretty good bet <laughs> as time went <laughs> on. Um, we're just not in that world anymore. I mean, we didn't evolve in skyscrapers with cell phones and, and these joys and wonders. Um, and... You know, as much as we we complained about, like, you know, we're both, I think it's fair to say, have some sort of suspicion of political correctness. 
so many of my my own uh, understanding of my politics and my understanding of the world comes from this long-term view of, you know, is partly the role of government, that there are situations in which, you know, you have the crisis of the commons in which it, what is correct for a family or a kin group is to use public resources, right? To mm -hmm. get a little bit of a, a little bit ahead. It's a job of government to cut those options off and mm -hmm. make them more costly mm -hmm. so that to maneuver us into more and more zero, uh, non-zero mm -hmm. sums, right? Mm -hmm. um, but in the long run, public policy matters all have to be determined by mm -hmm. zero, non-zero sum thinking. Um, and I don't know why that still seems mind boggling to people, you know, uh, it's us versus them. It's divide up, you know, everybody. And, you know, if somebody if I don't understand somebody's experience because of their religion or their ethnicity or their gender identification or sexual identification, that's fine. Part I don't have to understand you to understand you're part of the collective. And if you are suffering needlessly, the collective is losing uh, functionality. Yeah. We are better off when people are able to thrive together and express. So, I mean, that's practical. That doesn't yeah. come from some namby-pamby, well, you know, <clears throat> uh, hippieism in me. Uh, and ultimately, if we keep doing that generation after generation, maybe we'll survive when, uh, you know, Zira comes through. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, you say it's, it's this thing about micro versus macro, isn't it? You know, this idea of the tribe surviving and doing what it takes to survive, especially during COVID, you, you know, during lockdown, your tribe is who you live with, you know, or who you are, in, let's say, a bubble with. For, for the British terminology, who's your bubble? You know, whether it be a, a healthcare, a, a childcare bubble or, a, you know, or a healthcare bubble or whatever it is, you are looking to protect that that collective there and so you know you will do things in order to protect that and that's why when this first kicked off everyone hoarded for some reason toilet paper you know like the 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 one thing that you need and does everything in the house apparently um but like i said there was the hoarding and that was the we thing we eat toilet paper so it serves multiple purposes <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> eating it saves him wiping up the other end um but basically, that's where the hoarding came from, was this instant response of, like, here's my, here's my tribe, here's what I've got to protect, so I've got to go buy uh, 1,500 cans of Pepsi, so I'm going to go and do that. Whatever it was. Um, and like I say, but when you look at it on a macro level, and, and um, you do look at the whole of the world and you go for these major events, you know, whether it be ice storms in Texas, forest fires in California or Australia, or, you know, an earthquake or whatever... You sort of look at it and go, if we were all better off, <laughs> we could manage these things a lot easier. You know, um, you know, there wouldn't be people whose homes just get destroyed and they're left without insurance and homeless and or they lose their jobs. And we're like, all oh, right, the government have got to bail them out. Oh, no, because actually as a collective, we've managed to manage all this kind of stuff. Like there is a way of doing this. It's just we don't want to admit it and face up to it. And as you say, as I get older and I look at it, I just look at the world and go, like, why? Why is this so hard? Like, you know, I, I'm not clever enough to, to figure it out and to lead on that. Like, I'm, you know, that I'm not going to be that person. But there are people that clearly want to do that. Uh, but the system seems to keep stopping them. And I, I just, you know, there's a frustration there. Um, 
So, yeah. Well, and in Texas, they were told 10 years ago, this is going to happen when they had the last freeze 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, they were told time to winterize, and they decided, well, first of all, we don't want to spend that money, you know, because it's just not sexy. You're not going to win any votes by building a levy. It's just never going to happen, right? Because that levy's designed for 30 years on. It's going to save, you know, a hundred thousand lives potentially. But today it's just going to cost you millions of dollars. Um, But we have to make these kinds of investments. Um, And if we don't, we end up just bailing people out after they've starved and died and frozen and 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 all of this nonsense for no reason. Yeah, I think one of the things, again, if you if you would take that, I mean. Yeah, this idea you say this, you know that that thing of of protect, you know, forward projection. This idea of protecting for the future. Even if you want to reintroduce the faith argument, mm-hmm. you know, this idea of like, okay, we had, we we are currently going through an, an international COVID crisis. This is a true pandemic. It's cost you know millions of lives, not in just instant death, but there's going to be you know we don't know the, the long term results of this in five, ten years of people dying with all kinds of you know associated illnesses and disabilities. <clears throat> so, but then you go, okay, we had SARS. There was Ebola. There was a potential Ebola outbreak. So we've had these things. And you go, if you wanted to take the faith argument, again, with like forest fires or this ice storm, you sort of go, can you not see that maybe God's giving you a test? <laughs> or your deity is going, do you know what? I'm just going to give you a, as if, you know, in, in my terminology from a project manager term, I'm just mm-hmm. going to run, I'm, we're just going to run a system test. Right. You know, I'm gonna. We're not gonna. You know, we, we, we're not gonna do a full load. But I'm gonna run some stuff through here. We're gonna run some, you know, whatever it is, some widgets through this. See how it stands up to. See how it stands up to a bit of a test. Mm-hmm. And then we went through. We got through SARS. It burned off, and everyone went, "Oi!" We did all right in that one. A boat, a boat, a couple of cases of a boat. Look, oh, we're on it. We got that one done. A book's created that says, "Here's how you should deal with pandemics." Obama does it. We have one in this country. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, it goes out the window. If you want to take this as a further test, you're now doing the load test. Mm-hmm. This is you you now pushing on something a little bit tougher. Let's really test those boundaries and test the sort of how this thing stands together. Nope. <laughs> we are not listening. And if you know, if there is a deity up there, if there's God up there, he's going, like, I'm giving them chance after chance. Like <laughs> something big's gonna come down the pipe. They better be ready for it. I keep I keep giving them a way of getting ready for this, and they ain't doing it. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I can't help but think about that, um, the joke of the man who's, you know, who's drowning and mm. the, the, the lifeboat goes out and the lifeboat says, or the, you know, the religious man is drowning. The lifeboat goes out and it says, he says, no, 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 you know, you won't save me. God will save me. And the guy, they keep trying to save him. No, 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 God will save me. And eventually he drowns and he gets to the gates of heaven. He says to God, why didn't you save me? He says, I sent you a freaking lifeboat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And it's that same thing again of like, look, we're being sent these things. If you want to, if you have faith. Well, I think think the the worst thing that that um, can be charged against religion is that and and I think against any um, set of beliefs is that it's Mm. uh, fundamentally anti-evolutionary. Right. Mm. That whether it's Galileo or the civil rights movement uh religion was always on the wrong side 
Mm. Um, and as much as people can say, yes, many scientists have tried to discover God's wonder, the civil rights movement was, was galvanized around religious rhetoric, the majority of people who were religious were on the opposite side and used religion to defend that. Mm. Having said that, there are plenty of people who, in the spirit of this film, um, see exactly what you are saying. Um, and I hear a lot of people, you know, my mother is actually a um, minister. My mother would say, uh, you know, it says in Scripture that God made, uh, gave us responsibility for the earth mm. and, you know, for the animals. That doesn't mean... Yay, those are ours. Go around and slaughter and destroy it. You know, uh, it means it's your job to uh, be in charge of this responsibly. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, so, but I think that that was that kind of amelioration between private faith and society uh, or uh, private faith and science. In the 1950s, for as much as 50 society was filled with racism and all kinds mm. of problems, sexism. Um, I mean, it was a madman culture. But there was also the sense of neighborhood that we've talked about and, and of, you know, being in it together and ameliorating these interests. Um, whereas now, in that coming unglued, and, and for some very good reasons, right, there are benefits to that. But in that coming unglued, I do see that... Um, People now say, well, um, global warming, I know, no matter what data you present to me, it's all fake, because only God can destroy the world. God created this world, only God can destroy it. At that point, you're beyond anti-evolutionary, right? You know, you are in a global suicide pact. I mean, Mm. that cannot be permitted. I mean, that cannot be acceptable in any way, shape, or form. No, I agree. And it's the same for, I saw a uh, a debate between a sort of a, an astrophysicist and a flat earther. And the flat earther sort of was saying, <laughs> oh, it was amazing. It was on YouTube. And uh, it was I just watched these things to sort of make myself feel better about things. But, um, it, it was this idea that the, the flat earther said, I, I trust my senses. I look out the window and the world is flat. And the, so, the, so the guy, the astrophysicist, pulled out a photo and says, "Well, here is a photo that was taken from, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, the whatever it was, um, International Space Station of Earth." So mm-hmm. yeah, here's the curvature of the Earth. Yeah, we've now taken multiple photos of this, and here's a photo, you know, of of the Earth as a globe, and we can see it rotating. So, so your senses are now showing. He says, he says, "Well, that can easily be faked with computer graphics." <laughs> he's like. Well, this was made, with, but this is a photograph of, that was taken. So, what do you think the the um, the, the International Space Station is is circling? Oh, it's just going round the rim of the. F- and you, you can't win. You, yeah. you know, after a bit, you're just like, all right. As you said, it's hard fought or hard won science, and because I came to the conclusion a little bit, it was it was funny of watching this film, and then I watched this thing because I was just doing some. Online, it came to this flat earther thing. There's a curve, and I forget the name of it now, but it's about science, science progress, how science progresses, mm. and mm-hmm. how we it's an exponential curve, like you know, every right, yeah, right, right. yeah, yeah, like you know, like you know, uh, our this knowledge, is a singularity, right? 
Yes, yeah, yeah, literally heading towards the singularity, and this idea of like, but all of our um, knowledge and it, it's sort of you know, when you talk about the Romans, the Roman Empire lasted for you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and in that they invented all these things. Yeah, but not mm. in a week. It happened over time. Mm-hmm. Over hundreds of years. And then you sort of go, okay, well, what have we done in the last 20 years? Well, we've done this. Massing and masses of stuff. Mm-hmm. And again, you talk about evolution. We've reached a point where our brains just sort of go, I'm not entirely sure I can cope with this knowledge or this speed at which we are now finding things out. You know, And not to sort of... Um, you know, punch down at anybody that doesn't believe in these things, but to sort of basically go, Look, no, I can't engage with this information. It's too big. So if I can't engage with it and I can't understand it, then it ain't real. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, the flat earth thing is is particularly egregious. And, you know, I mean, faith is non-falsifiable, right? I mean, uh, you know, I mean, what's what's so upsetting to me is like, you know, the I worry that in the future, this effect is only going to exaggerate because. You know, my father's generation could understand basically all the parts of a car. My mm. dad didn't, but somebody of that generation could. Today, not so much, right? Um, I mean, when I was uh, when I was growing up, I could take a computer apart and figure it out. Today, you need a special device just to do that. Mm. Um, you know, you look at. I have reached the point where I can't take everything apart and figure it out what's especially egregious about uh that example with the flat earth is your cell phones don't you know gps doesn't work cell phones don't work if it's a flat earth right you you need actually einsteinian relativity to even get this shit to work uh so you know so they don't understand that but the more the more things become complex and specialized in, in knowledge the more we almost have to check out and say, well, I cannot, I'm not going to understand, you know, quantum computers, right? Yeah. I mean, there just comes a point in your life where you say, all right, that's too specialized. I, I can take the gist of it and believe it, but there are certain things that I'm not going to mm-hmm. really understand. Uh, and I don't need to. Um, but I worry that, you know, what what upsets me is, there was a sort of phenomenon after 9-11 where there was an Islamophobic phenomenon, but people said like, okay, these people, quote unquote, could never build the World Trade Center. They could never build a jumbo jet, (laughs) but they could take ours and fly it in Mm. and destroy it. Our culture is one of creation. Their culture is one of destruction, right? This was bandied about quite frequently in the U.S. in the post 9-11 years. And I always think, yeah, the, but the problem there is religion. Uh, religion did not bring, build, your Christian American religion did not build those jumbo jets. Mm-hmm. And in fact, left to its own devices, never would have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, was hostile to all of these things. Um, you, and so... Somebody's, somebody's personal views that have nothing to do with science or that are incompatible with science, we still benefit from them. So I see these flat earthers and they're, you know, I see these anti-science people and they're using the internet to spread their views. <laughs> you know? Well, 
yeah. What what's it, what's it? Um, the organization like it's either called the Global, yeah, I think it's called the Global Flat Earth Association. And you sort of look at that, and you sort of look at me, and you go, "I want to <laughs> look you in the face, and I want you to just tell me what what you yeah." <laughs> Show show me how you're a global organization. When it should could you not just say disc? Mm-hmm. I, don't know, I don't know what it would be a disco. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you know it's it's what do they say? It's turtles all the way down, or elephants all the way down. Yeah, well, um, turtles on each other's backs, right? That's it. Yeah, the, turtles uh, yeah. all the way down. Um, so yeah, it's 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 interesting to sort of see. We're going back, and I, I think. You know, well, t- the one thing I want to touch on before, sort of as we come to the end, though, is 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 more um, specific for the film. Though, is it's interesting how we've gone back to a film made. Well, really, I suppose it was fifty one. So, you know, uh, what's that? Sort of seventy odd, 70, 70 years ago, actually. Sort yeah. of, sort of seventy years. Um, you know, this film was released seventy years ago. And we are sort of saying, you know, yes, I will, as you say, I will highlight and agree that like the fifties were not a great time for a lot of people. You know, they were very sort of bigoted and, and that sort of thing. However, in general, sort of terminology, there was a there's an optimism that existed at that point that is, we we you know that we look at it and going, yeah, it was look at this film, it's it's really presenting this optimistic view of the world or optimistic view of the future. What has gone on in that seventy years for us to have, have reached this place? And you know, is it we just taken a snapshot from a single film? It'll be interesting to see when we get through all of these films um, of this period because they literally go from fifty one to fifty nine. When we look at through this decade, you know, maybe we should do a, a sort of a bit of an overview of this decade from these films. Is how 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 has our views changed of that decade? Um, from seeing some of these films well i I think there are a couple things come to mind one is that uh you know one is that there was such restriction uh on what you could present in film Mm -hmm. um you know the 1950s in literature is a lot more (laughs) it's a totally different story right it is a lot more cynical um but yeah, I mean, in in film, you know, you're you're dealing with things like the Hayes Code, right? I mean, mm-hmm. le, you know, the love remainders of that, and the Catholic League is still really active. I mean, so you really have to present uh, more it's of sanitized. Uh, yes, right. So 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 that doesn't necessarily reflect a real. We always have to be careful, right? That mm-hmm. it's not like everybody was like all in it together. Yeah. You know, like well, not really. The other thing that occurs to me is. Um, Sometimes people complain about sort of multiculturalism as, you know, dividing and destroying this 1950s is unity. And I think the truth is probably a confusion of cause and effect that, you know, I'm always disgusted. I, I like this Americana and stuff like mm. that. But I there comes a certain point at which I get I feel the vomit rising up yeah. in me as I realize, like, yeah, you know, all those cool shots of drive-ins. There are no black people. Yeah. Well, everybody's white. Um, oh, and... th- this is possibly the whitest film we have watched <laughs> in, in all the seasons. Of, of and that's show, saying so... something. Yeah. You know, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no, and there's notice there's no concern about diversity on that spaceship, right? You know, the, the good thing is, I don't know if you've seen these, uh, these, uh, 
points about uh, science fiction where um, you know African Americans uh, critics have said it is clear they're not planning on having us around. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When when humanity gets to that <laughs> other planet, like you know, there's some white guys on that ship going like you know. Maybe losing the entire human race was a small price to pay. Things are so pure now on this probably, new planet. Yeah, I mean, this is the 50s. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if they were they had a sign that sort of said, you know, for some of the seats, whites only. And someone else just went, we're not going to need that. I wouldn't mm. worry about it. It's, yeah, it's, 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 and again, I think if I was to watch this, and again, I, I have, I, I watched uh, you know, when you when you're a kid and you watch these films, and again, like that, you know, in that sort of these older films from the fifties and the sixties and stuff, you don't recognise these things. Mm-hmm. Um, watching it in twenty twenty one, it is so abundantly obvious, <laughs> and like you say, sort of like jarringly so um, that you know, not even in some token way is there a black character or a um, you know in any way, shape, or form, and it's it's. Um, they yeah, didn't even bother to put like a step and fetch a janitor in going nope. like, you know, no, no. It's just when, what is the future of humanity then? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we're on. We made it to another planet. Um, yeah. I mean, it's really kind of horrifying. Um, but but the point that I was that I was going to say about like, you know, the rise of multiculturalism is, you know, what happened in, in the 50s and the 60s in this country was that African-Americans said, essentially, you guys are all about coming together and following the government. You left us out in the 40s. We didn't get, you know, we got redlined. We didn't get included mm-hmm. in the in the New Deal. You know, we've inherited poverty, you know, for 100 years. Um, we want to be part of that unified project that you guys are all about. Mm. Just include us as citizens, as full citizens, voting rights and everything else and you know we're all good and then at that point the white majority started saying you know i'm not sure if we're all in it together after all (laughs) so so in retrospect people complain about you know political correctness and multiculturalism but i think that it may be the reverse that really these pleas to broaden the notion of that collective project to just say let's make sure that that spacecraft isn't totally white mm. made the, the white majority say, maybe we need to have multiple spacecraft. Maybe we're not really in this together after all. Well, again, like you say, it's difficult because we have gone on about how this film does have that positivity for the future. Like it generationally it does, you know, because mm-hmm. it is about the young and it is about the sort of like a selflessness, even to the end, like the, the end note is, um, uh, Hedron and uh, Hedron, uh, he pulls back uh, Stanton, doesn't he? Sort of, and says like, "No, no, we're not going on the ship because basically you're a vile old bastard, and I'm just sort of like trying to do the right thing for this other person." So there is this thing of like, you know, the next generation going on. So from a generational point of view, like, I do think there's a positivity there. There's a, a reliance on science. There's this idea of things being tested and thought through, and, and, and all this other stuff, which you know is good and positive. Um, However, like going back to my point before, when they show that design of that ship, like it's all laid out, like and I would be saying, like, yeah, why you should be given out as a universal thing of like, look, we could save more than forty people. We can only save forty because we can only build one ship. But if we mm-hmm. can give this out to the world, and you're telling me every government's gone, nah, it's ridiculous, and <laughs> is is it, you know is a bit of an is a bit irksome. But like you say, 
I think it has to be taken in the context. It's clearly the whitest ship that you know, like I've, you know, that's ever existed. And but it, it's described as an arc, and that also becomes a bit of a problem because that's supposed to save all God's creatures. Mm. And one of the things I also thought was interesting about this, they talk about chickens and a couple of other small animals. Right. Well, they're clearly for food. <laughs> yeah, that upsets me as a vegetarian, by yeah, the way. <laughs> there's, there's no notion in this of, again, like we've got to save some. And again, it comes into science. If this was a modern film, there would mm-hmm. be, we have been able to take the DNA or embryos mm-hmm. of, of these creatures and we can then repopulate and this other stuff. So, again, I think it's again, it's an, it's a, an issue of science knowledge and science capability and thought rather than, than anything else. Because again, they make a real good point in this film about weight. Like the weight of this ship is critical. Like they can't spare kilos or pounds or whatever. So they can't go like we've got all these cows to go on or an elephant. Like they they can't do that. Um, and again, I think so. It's interesting. Like they've they've put a workaround in there. But I do think you're right that there's a. Whilst I feel there's a positivity in this film, there is blatantly um, it's covered in fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Uh, bigotry i suppose unintentional i don't think it's it's, it's no it's not overtly racist like they don't they don't say we're not having those people on there. they just <laughs> right. sort of, they just sort of leave them out it's like you know yeah, again, they're, not, they're not part of the worldview right no, it, yeah it just comes back to that tribalism i suppose doesn't it well what's really funny there i mean first of all you know if you look carefully at the footage uh they keep calling it the ark but if you zoom in on the rocket ship it says ss white privilege yeah you know, <laughs> uh, what was really funny is it starts at the Mount Kenya Observatory, you know? <laughs> so there's a little bit of, like, geographic diversity here, but then everybody's white. Um, I, yeah. I, wonder, I wonder how much that will go through these films. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty oh. sure it'll be prevalent throughout all. Absolutely. I, I, I expect that. Mm. Um, one of the final things I wanted to sort of touch on before we do go out is we talked about the devastation scenes. Mm. It doesn't last very long. Um, uh, and they hold a lot of it is the main cast are sort of held in a, like a, a bunker or an office and you see them shaking around in a bit of a Star Trek fashion. But I have to say, I love the miniatures mm-hmm. in, in this and the way some of the special effects and the soup, they superimpose, you know, uh, water gushing through New York. And they, there's a miniatures of, of, of water coming over uh, these treetop stuff. I absolutely loved it. I thought that the, uh, the scenes of, of the effects of the star and stuff traveling past and stuff were brilliant. Uh, what were your thoughts? No, I really like those too. Um, and, you know, apparently they were very influential, you know, that uh, um, I think it was this George Powell produced this, you know, and mm. he had uh, done some similar movies and went on to do some some more. And that's what the line from Rocky is, right? Said George Powell to his bride. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love them. I, I agree with you. And, and I think they look so much better. You know, what's amazing to me is I think they look so much better than most of the CGI I see. Um, mm. And I don't know if that's just, I, I you know, I have a, a friend of mine who's uh, t- just turned 28, um, who's the closest thing I have to a son. And he watched Star Trek recently uh, for the original series for the mm. first time on my recommendation. And he could not get over just how primitive it was. And he was like, <laughs> it's so silly. And I was like, look, man, the time will come where you feel about the special effects of the next generation the way I feel about CGI. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and you will look back and be like, yeah, you know, that primitive CGI and those Marvel movies, that is to my eyes what like uh, the simple sets of like, yeah, it's a Romulan spacecraft. It's a wooden, you know, <laughs> wall with another yeah. wooden wall attached, you know, like spray paint it, attach a little, you know, plastic doohickey and spray paint that too. Good enough. You know, nobody's paying attention. Um no, I, I I love those miniatures. I think it looks mm. great. I love the alien planet mm. at the end. I, I love the rocket ship. I mean, yeah. it, it's awesome. I I love the aesthetic on that. And again, that sort of some of the the, the way it was done. Uh, like I say, I love the miniatures. I always love miniatures. Like you know, mm-hmm. um, I I some of my first science fiction was like Thunderbirds and and you know like. Uh, Joe 90 and, and uh, Captain Scarlet. So those sort of Jerry Anderson use of puppets mm-hmm. and miniatures. Like, I love all that sort of stuff. I, think, I always think it looks great. <clears throat> so to see that, there was one scene that, that I did sort of that stuck out a little bit. Um, I still liked it though, was they use a still of like an empty New York. Uh-huh. And, they're, yeah. and they're like, the streets are empty. And I'm like, look, I'm looking and going, not really. Yeah, just, I thought you, that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it you know it works, and I think because of the aesthetic of the film, like it really works, and I, I enjoy even um, like you say the design of the ship and that moment when they sort of the um, it's a little bit Prometheus when they're sort of like, is it breathable? And the guy's like, hmm. well, we've got no arse to go, <laughs> bring it down, and I'm like, whoa, surely you should have a vote about this or at least test it or do something. But like, he's he's not wrong. Yeah. I thought uh, that too, and 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 it's so ridiculous that he's like, "Oh, it's the it's the tastiest air I've ever breathed." Yeah. You know? It's like, God, you know, you know, what are the odds that the nitrogen the nitrogen content is going to be similar to ours? I mean, there are so many elements that you get in a slightly different proportion, and air smells acrid or terrible, yeah. or you know, and it's like, yeah, well. We can kind of breathe it. Breathe it. We're either going to be high from too much oxygen, or more likely struggling for breath. But it's definitely not going to smell good. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like everything is just utopian. It's another Eden. But that's because yeah. God provided it ultimately, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, you make a very good point. I have a feeling what race that deity is. I think yeah. I can. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that Jesus was blonde and uh, <laughs> possibly from uh, California. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like the ending though. Again, the design and the aesthetic is is good, um, and it's it's positive. I mean, like the, even the dog has puppies, you know. And you're like, oh, yes. it's all lovely. Um, no life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's all this, but there is that thing of sort of like you know. If this again was a modern film, like it's, it's almost like The Walking Dead. It's like, oh, that's the starting point. Now we're going to have six mm-hmm. seasons of how terrible and how much of a struggle it is to, to survive on this planet. Well, um, you know what's what's really cool is uh, apparently I looked at the plot description online. There was a sequel to the novel that started this, right? This is mm. like when worlds collide, and it's called like After Worlds Collide or something. And it's just them on the planet. Uh, and apparently, uh, whether it was George Powell or somebody involved with this, I, I think it was George Powell wanted to make that as a as a mm. film and do a sequel to When Worlds Collide, and just never got made. It would be fascinating to see how they would approach that, because again, the modern version of that would probably be like Walking Dead. Like they'd find out there was a spa- there was a spaceship, you know, not far off, and but they're the baddies and and all this other <laughs> stuff, and that you know, the communists got here too. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, the British were too busy arguing over uh, uh, which fish we should be taking with us, and uh, unfortunately, we got wiped out. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I do like the ending though of this film. It is it's very positive. It feels sort of you know it's it's got that sort of um, the the design and stuff. But yeah, the special effects were great. I was a bit cons- I was a bit like, oh, is it going to look wobbly? Is it going to look a bit naff? But no, I was I was fully invested in all that, you know, as, as I watched it. So, I also have to say I dig the uh, the ramp for the rocket ship. Yeah, you know, I mean, like that's such a cool. I mean, it goes back to like uh, sort of like Jules Verne style. Like you know, we're gonna send the rocket uh, pod into space with a giant gun. You know, <laughs> like there's there's a kind of naivete to to it. But I but I love those kinds of you know old school designs. That was it. Like, it's, it's 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 a rocket rocket. Uh-huh. You know, if you're gonna draw, yeah. if you're a kid and you're gonna draw a rocket, this is a rocket rocket. We're gonna uh-huh. see one of those again when we watch um, uh, the Quatermass experiment. There's a mm-hmm. there's a rocket rocket in that that I love the design of. It's really sort of like proper like fifties um, style. That sort of like you know like nostalgia sort of sci-fi design. That I think is fantastic. I, and I love that stuff. And and you know, one of the things that uh, that I thought of in, in seeing the rocket rocket was uh, was how, you know, I thought of the 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 phrase "dreams of our fathers." You know, that when we draw a rocket, right, we draw these old school things, right? Nineteen mm. fifties futurism, not just you know Robbie the robot and the Jetsons and everything, is still so influential to the point mm. where. You know, to the point where uh, retrofuturism borrows from it, new versions borrow from it. It's like it's in our DNA. It's in our collective imagination at this point, um, which then makes me, you know, makes me think about some of the the wider, you know, racial and cultural depictions of this film and and the ways in which we don't examine them or are blind mm. to them as we adopt these kinds of visual tropes and design tropes. Yeah, I mean, so you say about this sort of this retrofuturism, sort of tapping back into this, and again, I think, you know, we, I, mean, I always think, again, things come around in cycles, you know, like you say, I think um, I, I'd love to see some of these designs come back into the sort of the mainstream of some sort of, you know, um, choices. But yeah, you're right, I think, you know... I, there are certain things in this film that you you wouldn't want to revisit, or if you were yeah. <laughs> to read to redo Worlds Collide, and again I could see this being remade, mm-hmm. um, and you know and fitting into that sort of like disaster um, model. That I mean, there recently what was the one they had recently Greenland uh, that came out with Gerard Butler and um, I forget what else was in it, but yeah, um, you know, and that was very much this thing of like oh we're going to be hit by a, an absolute tidal wave of. Um, meteorites including an extinction level event and we're not going to escape the earth but we are going to go we are going to go into bunkers underneath the earth you know and that that was sort of like the 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 way of that and that was nowhere near as positive like again that was about this selection of people and again it has this idea of the it's all about based around the government okay the government have selected these people and they have been selected because they have a purpose in the new world and mm-hmm. so this one, they've got the Gerard Butler plays like a, a an, an architect and um, engineer. So they're like, well, you're the you're the best in the country. So we're going to take you with us because, you know, we need to build and do all this stuff in the in you know post extinction event. Um, 
and then all this stuff happens. But the films are then about is really sort of is about how people react. It's almost like the middle part of this film. The entire film mm. is the middle part of this film basically going like, no, people fighting against the military and doing everything they can to try and get to mm. those bunkers and so on and so forth. That is, if anything, that's probably the closest version you're going to get to that. And again, it's not about this this um you know uh rising tide you know uh, helping all ships or all in it together it's very much about look we can only save this many people and everyone else you're all screwed zero sum yeah right and 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 sort of you know but then everyone's sort of fighting it to the extent of like there's a and it's heartbreaking the way they've done it at times it's sort of gerard butler his wife and his kid they're driving away and a woman literally runs out into the road with her daughter going, look, look you can take you can take her like you you know and he's like right. well i can't i've got this. we are literally given we've been given these bands like i can't they won't take her um and uh, one of the things they find out in the film is when they get to the military base to sort of to, to go in is the kid's got diabetes gerard butler's mm-hmm. kids and the, the, the military are like yeah we can't take him mm-hmm. and there's this big argument and at one point one of the the military leaders comes forward and goes look i'm not going either I'm doing this to try and ease this transition, but mm-hmm. I'm just as dead. I'm just as dead as the rest of these people. Like, I, I didn't make it either. So, and I'm not making a fuss. And it's, it's, it's an interesting moment of going, I'm still doing my duty. I'm right. here filtering through papers, doing this thing, filling this plane up, sending people on their way. And when those planes leave, I'm not on them. And it does make well, you think, you know, it's, it's that thing again of like, He's got that that spirit of the collective that we're talking about mm. in this film, right? Mm. I mean, there's that character that expresses, you know, uh, the same sort of thing. Um, it's just that the film is weighted in the other direction. Yes. And I, and yeah. I think it's interesting, like, I mean, we could do a whole season of sort of uh, apocalyptic uh, films like this. I was thinking of, like, Melancholia, Seeking mm. a Friend for the End of the World. It's interesting that the the more recent versions tend to be, oh no, we're not going to get out of this. Yeah. We're, we're just all going to die. <laughs> you know, there's no survival. At best, we'll be underground. But there's this whole subgenre of just no, except that the species is over, which is, I mean, man, that's depressing. That's you know, it might be true, but it's depressing. Yeah, it's it's probably even David Attenborough came out recently and said. Oh no, no, global warming, it's, it's, it's all gone too far. There's mm-hmm. no pulling it back. And he, he, But he's like in his 90s, so he's like, you know, I warned you in the 70s, and uh-huh. you didn't listen then, and you're not listening now. So, <laughs> <laughs> good luck. Much, there's, yeah, there's, I'm, I'm off soon. Yeah. Uh, there's not much I can do with it anymore. So, yeah, I don't know. It is, I think it's sort of almost like an acceptance. And I don't think that will happen when it comes. I think there'll be panic and it'll all go Mad Max for a little while, but we shall see. Um, anyway, we've, we're coming to the end, and so you know, we, we have been talking about when worlds collide. And so, just before we talk about it, what were your final thoughts then? Any final thoughts on, on the, uh, when worlds collide from 1951? Well, I think we, we've gotten at some of the you know, the, the racist and, and sort of culturalist points mm-hmm. of you know, the, the ways in which in this happy presentation of uh people coming together uh, and of humanity surviving amazingly, um, you know, there is privilege and there are choices being made. And I think the privilege of, uh, you know, Hendren to just like, yeah, I throw this kid on, throw this dog on, you know, (laughs) um, you know, really struck me at the time. Um, 
But uh, I still think that from a writing perspective and a, and a directing perspective, uh, it's a it's a it's a well put together movie that mm. even in its clunkiness has a better structure and a better just coherence as a, as a story. I know what every scene is doing. It's got some charm. It's got some nuance. I mean, I from a structural perspective, I, I like it a lot. It, you know, what about you? No, I agree. I I really enjoyed it. Um, it it's like I say just just of itself, it's a fun film. Like it's a it's a you know it's it's throwback. It's very it's very you know retro to watch it. But I enjoyed it. It was a good film. From it, it has its problems, as we say, sort of like you know when you were to watch it, you have to watch it in the context of a film that was made in 1951, uh, and it's trying to present. I think even at that point, they say like the the Hayes Code and everything else, this positive view on a post-war. <laughs> Uh, a post-war America, um, you know, despite the fact of its own its own whiteness. <coughs> Regarding the story, though, I think there's some elements that do sort of. I do have some slight problem. It's it. You're right. The the story flows as it should do. It's fine. It's still a little clunky. I think you know. I think I'm used to certain things coming up earlier. The the couple that get chosen. Um, the the uh, discontent and eventual sort of like revolt at the end of the film, mm, you know, yeah. um, mo- modern sort of filmmaking and probably what I'm more used to is sort of like, I, I don't want, exactly as you said, I don't want them all introduced at the very, very beginning to have like 20 minutes of like, here's all <laughs> these characters, which is, is typical of disaster films. But when they're brought together at that place in the base, like, yeah, you know, here's a couple and here's this guy who's a bit of a malcontent and probably going to start this, the rumblings around this and just have those things in yeah. the background a bit more would probably have made that a little smoother. Other than that, like this, there's some odd little bits and pieces, but it's just of, of a time. I really enjoyed this and I was, you know, I was, I'll be honest. I was a little nervous that this was going to be a bit flat. Um, but no, I think this is a good film, and I think it's, it's a recommend actually to go and check this out. Um, you know, and uh, it's widely available in different places actually. So, yeah, go mm. go check out when worlds collide. It's a, a good film. Yeah, and very influential, I think, on mm. those later disaster movies. And even if you have to cringe through a little bit here and there, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's well put together, and it's an hour and a half. Yeah. You know, you're not going to lose three hours. Watching no. uh, oh, yeah, Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what what would say is as well. You say like you know you you may have to cringe through things. If you're watching any film from the fifties, oh, there's yeah. there's cringeworthy stuff. You know any kind of film. So uh, it's it's well worth checking out. Uh, the next film on our journey um, is uh, I'm sorry, it, it came from outer space uh, from 1953. Uh, so you know we're going to be now dealing with uh, our first sort of not quite alien invasion but you know our first monster uh, alien monster movie so again an- another one I-, I i think i think i've seen this many 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 years ago uh, but it's been a long long time so i'm really looking forward to getting to this one um but yeah julian this has been a really good conversation actually i've enjoyed talking about this yeah me too brother and uh i'm off to zero yeah <laughs> jumping on the, the ss white privilege and <laughs> uh hey, guilty is charged yeah uh, but if, ladies and gentlemen, if you have checked out this film or you've got any opinions about this film or any of the films that we're going to be covering in our sort of 50s block, uh, reach out and let us know. You can find us on Twitter at Pod Time Space. Um, and it's wonderful to sort of have that conversation and talk with people. Uh, so do do get in contact.
Amen. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. And we shall talk to you next week. streams.